Good evening. It's good to be here with you tonight. Uh, I counted a privilege and a blessing to be here, and I'd like to thank Stanley for his prayer on my behalf as we consider our study for this evening, and I'd like to thank Hugh for inviting me uh, to come and, and uh, present a, a study for you tonight. Tonight we're going to ask the question, where is your heart? We want to consider our heart as we think about our service to God, our service to others. Think about our heart as we enter into the worship service. And so I want us to think about this as we go and read through Mark chapter 7. As we introduce our thoughts and we think about the heart, and as we're going to do an examination of the heart, it's important to understand how the heart is referenced in the Bible. You know, we consider and know the heart to be an organ inside of our chest that pumps blood through our body, but even in our modern vernacular, we've seen that the heart has taken on uh, a more meaning to us, as it's described in the Bible. As we look through the Bible, it's talked about in many different ways, but essentially it's the logical and emotional center of a person. Our thoughts, our joy, our wisdom, our despairs, hopes, our goals are all located within our heart. And so we talk about this in, in the same way today, talking about a, a, having a broken heart or feeling something in your heart. And so we see our ambitions, motivations, and emotions all make up our heart. And we see it spoken about in the Bible in this way. So we want to examine our heart, see what is our motivation in our service to God and our service to others. And as we go through Mark chapter 7, we're going to see an encounter where Jesus talks with the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's going to do a quick and decisive examination of their heart and show where their true intentions lie as they offer their service to God. And in this instance, he calls into question their motivations and their worship and duties to God. So in Mark chapter 7, if you want to follow along, we'll be spending some time here. This main passage is in the New King James Version, but the, the rest of our scriptures will come from the ESV. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together, together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. Holding the tradition of the elders... When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. So as the Pharisees examine Jesus and his disciples, they notice that his disciples are eating with unwashed hands. Mark immediately, immediately explains that this comes from a tradition of cleanliness and defilement that the Pharisees had. So, Pharisee would go out to the marketplace and he may come in contact with a sinner there in the marketplace or touch something they have touched and therefore his hands might be defiled. And so the food that he touches 
going into him could defile him as well. And so it was a point of emphasis that they washed their hands so that they themselves would not become defiled. So as Jesus is taking them to task here, he's saying, you know, outwardly they walk the walk and talk the talk. And in their outward appearance, they attempted to follow the law and their traditions. And they tried to do this to the letter. They had debates about expanding the law out, what all the law meant. And they developed these traditions in that. And it was because of these factors that many people trusted in them for spiritual and scriptural guidance. But it turns out that these men were far out of touch from God and their hearts were, in fact, in the wrong place. You see, as a Pharisee, one had a higher status in life. And in this day and age, status could mean the difference between poverty and wealth. And so the, the Pharisees who were teachers were part of the ruling class of this age. They had a zeal for God that was unrivaled, but it led to these traditions they, that they handed down. And they began to elevate their traditions to a place of law, in God's word. This idea came from the law of Moses. Leviticus 10 verse 10 says, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the clean and the unclean. So we see this theme of cleanliness, and specifically in Leviticus, this theme is echoed throughout the book. And so they're taking this idea of being holy and being clean and extrapolating that out, and extrapolating it out to the nth degree. Here in this uh, context, it's actually talking about the priests and their service to God, but this, this theme is, is echoed through, through the law, uh, specifically talking about priests when serving in the temple, not, not drinking alcohol. But we see that the Pharisees are taking this theme and applying it out of context and applying it in a, in a way that was not intended. They made it doctrine and they made it law from their strict tradition and their washing of hands, and the other traditions that they held. And I believe that this was a result of completely removing their heart from their worship and service. As they extrapolated the law out, it became about following the law to the nth degree, not considering their own heart in their service to God. As they questioned the lawfulness of the disciples' actions, he calls them to examine their heart when they are offering their service to God. These people say the right things, but their heart is, in, is not in the right place. And so it calls us to question, where is my heart as I offer service to God? Where is my heart as I attempt to fulfill the commandments given by God in the Scriptures? And maybe are there areas in my life where I've taken a commandment of God and made it to no effect by my approach to the Scriptures? And so I want to look at a few things tonight to help us examine our hearts as we approach God in our worship, in our obedience, in our service to others. We'll look at these questions and relate them to the, the story that we're reading here in Mark chapter 7. So as we think about these traditions um, and think about the traditions of men, traditions are something that can hold a lot of value. They are things that can be actually very good for us. We can think about traditions like guardrails to keep us in the right area, to keep us from going off the cliff. Traditions keep us from uh, taking up the flavor of the month. They're things that aren't easily changed, and we find a lot of comfort in them. 
For example, during COVID, whenever the ending of the service here was changed, that threw me off every time I came to visit. Because as soon as that prayer ended, I was wanting to turn to my neighbor and start talking. And that tradition was there. There's nothing scriptural about it, but it helps us maintain an uh, orderly service. And even my two-year-old son would turn and say, All done! So these traditions are there. They have their guardrails. They're not, they're not bad until we start elevating them to a place of law. We have to take our traditions and evaluate them in the context of our heart and our worship and service to God. And so Jesus is giving us a warning of doing the same thing with our routines and our opinions as well. They can easily become elevated and lead our hearts away from true service to God. And if we elevate our traditions, we take our heart out of our worship and put our heart in the wrong place. As we look at the Pharisees, they took their tradition and bound that upon everyone. And they completely took their heart out of the commandment and lost what the commandment was for. In 1 Peter 1, Peter talks about the same commandment in Leviticus, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And he expands on that and says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 17 through 19. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the same commandment is given here in the previous verses. Be ye holy, for I am holy. But we see the intention behind it. The point behind Leviticus was not about being physically clean. It was about uh, being spiritually clean. It's not the washing of your hands that keeps you undefiled, but it's about your, your personal conduct. And that's what Peter is saying here. We're all corrupted by our own sinful actions, by the things that we do to hurt ourselves, and hurt other people. These are the things that defile us. But we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. It's not our own holiness that saves us. It's not by anything we can do, by holding the law to the nth degree, expanding it out, falling it to a T. Nobody can do that. But it's in response to the sacrifice of Jesus. Accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. Being saved by His blood. And being saved from a vain lifestyle that's handed down from those before us. It's not out of the fulfillment of the law or some physical thing that makes us clean, but it's the blood of Christ. And so what's the response to our redemption? It's responding out of love and in a pure heart. In verse 22, he goes on, Seeing you have purified your souls, obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So the response to Jesus and the sacrifice that he's given us is responding in a pure heart, responding in a heart after Jesus. So how might we get caught up in our traditions and take our heart out of our worship? Do we have traditions that keep our heart from getting involved in the service? One thing I can think of that is pretty easy for us to do and kind of what the Pharisees were doing is that they were checking the boxes, right? We can get in the habit of, well, I attended church three times this week, I partook of communion, I sang the songs, I checked all the boxes, and I'm good to go, right? Well, in doing 
that, the check the box worship, I completely remove my heart from the intention behind the worship. Another thing you can think about is four-part harmony singing. We have a tradition of singing four-part harmony. And if I get caught up in what each note is supposed to be and hitting that note exactly, I can forget to read the words. Words coming out of my mouth, but they don't mean anything in my heart. And so I can take this tradition that's supposed to enhance and help our singing and take my heart out of worship. And that's not me trying to attack the way we do things, but we need to take an honest look at our worship and our service and our traditions and make sure these things are done with the effect of drawing our hearts closer to God and not taking our heart out of our worship. And so it's not just traditions, but Jesus is also warning them of lifting themselves up with pride in their knowledge. A lot of times we can pass off our own opinions as commandments and then use that to judge our brother or judge someone to establish our own holiness. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one despise Excuse me, let not one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. This verse is for Jackson because he asked me this morning if I'd be talking about Romans 14 and the fact that today is Christmas. And Paul in Romans 14 covers a lot of opinions. He talks about different opinions. And going on past these verses, he begins to talk about specific days holding one day above another. There's not any specific day in the New Testament that we're called to observe and, uh, and set aside. But Paul encourages us to be convinced in our own minds. But here, what he's, what he's talking about is, you know, there are commandments from God that we have to hold in a hard line, that we need to draw a line on, but there are times where it's our opinion and our pride talking. And Christmas may mean something different to everybody else in this room, but Paul encourages everyone to be convinced in your own opinions, but you do not have to bind that on other people. Another thing, I'll tell a quick story here. When I was a young boy, Dad had a policy of wearing khakis to church on Sunday morning. And it was something, a standard that he set for us and himself of that, to teach us a lesson of, of bringing our best to the worship service bringing our best before God. And as you can tell now, he doesn't have that policy anymore, to which I was thankful for whenever it went away. But for Dad to go and, and try and bind that on other people, that, that would have been his own tradition. That would have been his own opinion, that he would be trying to bind on other people. And it would be wrong for him to go throughout all the church and say, you need to be wearing khakis on Sunday morning, Right? And so the Pharisees had this opinion that you should wash your hands before eating. Coming all the way back to the Pharisees. I think that's a pretty good policy, in my own opinion. It's good to wash your hands before you eat. But here they were forcing this tradition and this opinion on others where God's word was silent. And so they used their knowledge to create a holier-than-thou mindset and exalt themselves and keep others low. Isaiah 65, verse 5, talks about this mindset. Speaking of those which say, Stand beside thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. 
These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. As God is describing the people like the Pharisees, it's like smoke in his nose. It's easy for us to get this mindset, a holier-than-thou mindset. We tend to be our best cheerleader, give ourselves the most slack, say that we're doing it with the best intentions, but then we're others' worst critic. We can easily pass judgment on others. We can easily set up to establish our own righteousness, laws, and tradition. And so the Pharisees here have this holier-than-thou mindset. And it was so they could establish their own righteousness, and in doing so, they completely missed the purification of the heart. Romans 2, verses 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so, Paul is getting to the point of, it's not about outward appearances, it's not about what you do outwardly or physically, but it's a matter of the Spirit. It's a matter of the Spirit and of the heart. Not in the tradition that we hold, not in keeping of the law, but following God's commandments and the true intention and purpose of the heart. So we'll continue on in in Mark chapter 7. Jesus continues here in his uh, criticism of the Pharisees. Picking back up in verse 9, it says, And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But I say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him, let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So here Jesus comes to the issue of Corban. We see as he uh, criticizes them for this practice and this tradition that they, they had, he's showing how they prioritize one of God's commands over another and therefore make the second one of no effect. So this issue of Corban was an instance where you have one commandment to honor your father and mother, and part of that in the tradition was that you would take care of your parents when they get older and can't take care of themselves. And that was a duty of, of you as an Israelite, to take care of your father and mother. But those who were in charge of the temple came along with this tradition of like, well, if you'll give us a gift that would have been spent taking care of your parents, we're going to call that Corbin or a gift to God, a gift to the temple, and you were therefore excused from taking care of your parents in their old age. And so we see they're taking one of God's commandments, elevating it above another, and making the second commandment of no effect. And really, it's, it's sickening to think about this practice. It's completely born out of selfishness, selfishness and greed. Greed for those who develop this tradition of getting more money for themselves. Greed out of those who don't want to take care of their parents. And it completely nullifies the intent and the heart behind the commandment of honoring your father and mother. And so the truth is that as carnal creatures, we tend to insert and inject our selfish desires into God's commandments. The scribes and the Pharisees are hypocrites because 
Their actions are all for external show. It's all for their elitism. There was no heart for God, but their heart was focused on themselves, how could they could line their pockets and make it better for them. In Luke chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus is addressing this issue again. He said, says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things, and they ridiculed him. And they said to him, You are, are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. He's telling them, your heart is an abomination before God. They were lovers of money. They were lovers of the praise of men. And their actions and traditions were centered on themselves. It was for their own exaltation, not for that of God. And they elevated their status, pride, and wealth. When we interject our selfish desires, it completely destroys the goodwill of the gospel and the word of God. And so as we see Jesus in his teachings, and we see in, in Mark chapter 7, and Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing us what it truly means to follow the law, to truly follow the law with your heart. So can we fall into the same trap? We can think of, maybe you can think of an example of elevating one commandment over another. It's a common doctrine today that all you have to do to be saved is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you'll be saved. They eleva elevate that commandment so much that we forget about repentance, confession, baptism. Those things aren't important if you believe. Okay, well, what about another instance? We have a commandment that you need to provide for your own. You need to work as unto the Lord. But we also have a commandment to be compassionate on other people to give to the needy and the poor. And so if I see someone come in here, ask for help, or see someone on the street who needs help, and I think about and, and judge them, thinking they got themselves into this situation, you need to go out and work. You need to do your part to provide for your household. I elevate that commandment over the commandment to be compassionate to other people, to give to those who are poor. And in doing so, I completely shut off my own compassion to that person. I completely eliminate the commandment that's been given to me. And I think if we're not careful, we can elevate specific commandments in God's law and His Scriptures and completely remove our responsibilities from other people. I think often we may have a hard time relating to other people because they come from a different background or, or different status. And it makes us uncomfortable to interact or reach out. And we oftentimes have trouble or easily shut off our compassion for other people. Romans 12, verses 15 through 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. <clears throat> if we puff ourselves up in our own opinions, our own traditions, and our own pride we soon forget about how it may affect others. As I reflect on 2020 and 2021 COVID era, I think we really saw what was in people's hearts a lot of times. When trials come, 
it exposes what's truly on the inside. It exposes what's truly in our heart. And I think that throughout that period of time, we really saw the good and bad of human nature. And no matter what your opinion is or what side of whatever debate you lined up on, we saw that people were in, living in service of their own opinions. We saw people that were wise in their own sight. I had some of those conversations where I elevated my own opinion, didn't care, to, uh, didn't care for others. And the point is that wouldn't it all be better if we all focused about living peaceably with one another, about associating with uh, uh, being, deferring to others, not be wise in, being wise in our own sight. So the problem that we and the Pharisees have is that all men need a renewed heart. We need a changed heart, one that's focused in the right place. And back in Mark chapter 7, Jesus will complete his teaching with one more parable. Picking up in verse 15. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. When he had entered, in, entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, Lewdness and an evil, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Jesus finally shows us what's at the source of our corruption. It's not these physical things that can make one defiled. It's not that I might touch something or someone that's unclean and that enters my body and defiles me, but it, it's our selfish heart. It's all these behaviors that are, are listed here that come out of our heart. These are the things that defile us. It's our own sin. It's our own selfish desires. The things that I want to do instead of what God has asked me to do or called me to do. We're all plagued by our own human nature. We tend to exalt ourselves over others. This is the attitude that leads to these wicked behaviors. And so the point is that all men have a heart that needs to be renewed by God. Ezekiel and Jeremiah spoke about this. Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 19 and 20, it says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my rules, and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So Israel's problem, like the one Jesus is describing, is a condition of a hard heart. A heart that needs to be changed by God. We need God to come in and renew and change our hearts. And think, to think and act like Jesus did. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Those that belong to God have a renewed heart. One that 
where God's commandments are written inside and buried deep. So what does it look like when someone has a renewed heart? I think this is what Jesus was showing us as he taught here on earth. Matthew 21, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This was Jesus' message. We should be at the very bottom of our priority list. And as we think about the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, all of it hangs on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others. Truly love them from your heart, not just doing what's required of you based on the law. So as we think about Jesus and his teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus elaborate what it means to have the law written on your heart what it means to truly fulfill the law. He took quotes from the law and conventional wisdom of the day, and he took it a step further. He turned it on its head a little bit. We see the emphasis in Jesus' teaching is love for God and love for your neighbor. About minimizing self and prioritizing others. So, how do you love one another? You go the extra mile. Matthew 5, 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. It's more than just obeying the laws and the commandments as they're spelled out in order to justify myself. But as we see, we can't be justified by the law. The point is, where is your heart as you obey the commandment? Where is my heart as I'm asked to go a mile with my brother? If your heart's truly in it, you'll go with him two miles. If we're concerned about ourselves, we're going to give the minimum force required. Hit the minimum standard to obey the law. But as Jesus talks about, uh, has these teachings about the law in Matthew chapter 5, he raises the stakes. He says, okay, the law says not to kill. Good job. You didn't kill your brother. But what if you have hate in your heart towards your brother? What if you speak evil towards him? Well, you're in danger of the judgment then. You see, God wants your heart behind it. Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So the ultimate way to know where your heart is, is to examine your actions. Examine your actions and see if they're coming from within to serve my own purposes, or if they're focused on loving God and loving my neighbor as myself. As I fulfill the commandments given to, me, given to me, am I fulfilling that to satisfy myself? Or am I doing those things to, to love God and to love my neighbor? So as we finish up here, I want to take a quick look at just a handful of things um, in our service to God to Examine our hearts and see where they are. As we think about singing, where is your heart as your worship? Where was your heart tonight as you sang the songs? Ephesians 5, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
your heart's got to be in the worship service. And as I prepared this study, you know, I could think back to a lot of times where my heart wasn't in the singing. And as someone who loves to sing, you know, I enjoy coming to, to hear the musical side of it. And there's times where I've been too concerned with how I sound and less concerned about reading the words, truly saying those from my heart. If I'm not careful, I can turn away my heart from God and begin to be focused on myself. There were a couple years ago, we were coming back from a trip from Dallas. We stopped in Bridgeport for church. And I noticed that as we were, were singing, everybody was singing the soprano line on the melody. And I came away from that service really edified because you could tell that they were singing from their heart. You know, we don't have to sing four-part harmony. If that's something you struggle with, well, jump on the melody line, read the words on the page. Don't worry about hitting each note perfectly. And I think that if we sing from the heart, we'll see that evident in our worship service. You'll be able to tell it. What about in our prayers? As Jesus talks about the hypocrites in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about how they love to stand in front of men. They were praying for show. But he says this in verse 6, but when, you pray, but when you pray and go into your room and shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. What a comfort it is to know that God knows exactly what we need. And I think this is another area where we can be concerned with checking all the boxes, especially when you're talking about a public prayer, because you want that to be edifying for the congregation. But I found that when I say my best prayers, it's because it's coming from my heart. It's not concerned with saying all the right things, getting all the boxes checked. It's about telling God what's on my heart, asking for strength from His Word, aligning my heart with His Word. God's not looking for a set of check boxes to be filled, but He does ask us to align our hearts with His Word, with His will, and pray to Him, speaking from our hearts. What about in our service to others? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, as your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do we think about the recognition that we'll gain whenever we offer our service to others? When we think about giving gifts, as Hugh spoke about this morning, is it about the praise or glory that I'll receive? Or how about the good deeds I do for somebody else? Is that so I can be seen of men? What's your heart in that? Is it to make me feel good inside or is it to help the person that's in need? A lot of times we begin to try and keep score. If we're keeping score, you can tell that your heart's in the wrong place. So the point is not to think about the glory or honor that we will receive, but the glory and honor that our brother or sister will receive, and that Christ will receive. So as we close tonight, we've taken several passages from the Sermon on the Mount, and I believe that's a place where Jesus really shows us what it means to follow God 
and to fulfill the law, to follow the law with your heart. And so I encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and think about something new that you can take away, that you can focus less on yourself and more on God and evaluate our heart behind our worship and our service. So as we close, there's nothing that you can do to make yourself righteous. It's not following the law perfectly. It's not by physically checking off the boxes or the traditions that we hold, but we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And He washes us in His blood. And if you want a renewed heart tonight to start living in service of the Lord and for others, we can help you with that by starting your walk with Christ in baptism. Or maybe you feel like you've removed your heart from your worship. Maybe you've evaluated your heart tonight and seen that it's in the wrong place. We can help you in praying for restoration. Whatever the case is, God wants to transform your heart. And He does this on a daily basis. We're daily renewed by Him. Why don't we let Him and then find the joy that only comes from God? Won't you come while we stand and sing?